The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. The Apostle John writes, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lamp stands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And the sound of his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. Glory. John, the Apostle John, has a vision of Christ in all of his glory. And he's overwhelmed. Overwhelmed by the the greatness, the goodness, and the beauty of Christ. So much so that he's left scrambling for language to even describe this encounter. I mean, the best he can do to throw some light on the glory of Christ for us is to think of the brightest thing he's ever seen, the sun, and say, yeah, that thing, crank it up to 11. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And John says, when I saw Christ in this state, I fell down as though I was dead. But then came the good news of the gospel. From the very lips of Jesus himself, fear not. Fear not, John. Why? Why doesn't John have to fear? Christ says, fear not, for I am the first and the last. In other words, I created all things and I will bring all things to a conclusion. And in the in-between time, John, where, where you live, know that I am the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. I have conquered everything you have ever feared, even death itself. John, there is nothing to fear 
but me. And I say, fear not. Christ says I'm the first and the last. In other words, he rules over everything. He rules over the beginning. He rules over the end. And he rules over everything in between. And he tells John he has nothing to fear because he is working all of that glory for John's joy. I've used it to conquer even death itself. You got nothing to fear. I started it all. I created it all. I've conquered it all, and I will bring it all to a conclusion. Do you hear the good news that Jesus is announcing? He is the all-powerful, great creator, and he has exercised all power as the good conqueror of evil, and he will use all power to bring about a beautiful conclusion. John, fear not. My glory, my greatness, my goodness, my beauty is for your joy. And the glorious presence of Jesus that had brought him dread for the rest of the book of Revelation, it will bring him joy. John needed this vision. The early church to whom John writes this book, they needed this vision of Christ. Shades, we need this vision of Christ. Why? Simply put, because we all seek joy and glory. This is all we talked about a couple of weeks ago for the most part, right? That every single human being spends their lives in pursuit of joy in the glory of something. Perhaps it's joy in the glory of love. A lot of people are after love. I just want to be loved. I want somebody to love. I want somebody to love me. Why? Because there's something about love that's great, good, and beautiful that brings me joy. I want joy in the glory of love. For some of us, it's joy in the glory of wealth or a career or health or success or power or prestige or, or possessions. But, but no matter where we seek it, we all seek it. The joy of glory is our deepest, our widest, our longest, our highest need. And the church of John's day was tempted to seek joy in the glory of anything but Christ. Because to them, Christ didn't look all that glorious. To the church in John's day, Christ didn't look great and, and powerful like he was sovereignly in control. No, the Roman Empire looked that way. The Roman Empire looked like it was sovereignly in control. To, to the early church in John's day, Christ didn't look good, like he was powerfully conquering evil. No, Rome looked like it was powerfully executing evil as it persecuted and opposed and, and mocked these believers. I mean, even John himself, as he receives this vision and writes it down, he's in exile on an island called Patmos. Where is the great and the good Jesus for, for him or for these other Christians who are suffering. Many of these suffering Christians, they were being tempted to seek joy in the glory of something other than Christ, for he did not look great or good. In fact, to them following Jesus didn't look that beautiful at all. The opposite did. The, the pagan lifestyle looked beautiful. It looked much more attractive with its materialistic indulgences and its sexual excesses and its power and its popularity. And many of these early Christians were being tempted to abandon their first love for 
joy in the glory of pagan pleasures that looked way more beautiful than Jesus. These suffering Christians, these compromising Christians, they couldn't see the greatness, the goodness, the beauty of Christ. They couldn't see His glory. Can we? Can we? Because, I mean, is, is our situation today really that much different from, from theirs? Do not the powers of this world still seem sovereign? Especially when they mock, oppose, or persecute the faith. Does, does not our suffering still tempt us to believe that Christ isn't really great or good? Do not the pleasures of this world still tempt us to abandon our first love and seek joy in the glory of wealth or sex or power or popularity? Don't these things still tempt us to believe that Christ is not really beautiful? As as suffering and, and compromising Christians, can we see around us the glory of Christ? Can we see past the surface of the way things seem? Like, like the glories of this world will give us joy. That's, that's the way things seem. Can we see past that surf, surface and get a vision of true reality? Christ in His glory. That He really is the great creator, the good conqueror, and that he guarantees he will bring about a beautiful conclusion. That's what the early church needed to see. That's what John, feeling abandoned on the Isle of Patmos, that's what he needed to see. This is what we need to see. Christ in his glory so that he becomes our joy. We need to find joy in the glory of Jesus. How? I mean, that's the question, right? How? When everything around us makes Him look so inglorious, how are we going to find joy in the glory of Jesus? That's our question for the rest of this morning. How do we pursue joy in the glory of Christ? And Jesus Himself has already begun to answer that question for us in Revelation chapter 1. If you're there, look again at verse 11. Verse 11, Jesus says, Right. Write, John. Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. Look down to the end of what Jesus says at verse 19. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen. John, write. Pick up a pen and put it to paper and write. John is writing to seven churches in Asia Minor. Not just those seven churches, he's really writing to all churches, including us. Seven is a symbolic number throughout Scripture. It has been since the very beginning of everything since creation. God created in six days, rested on the seventh, and since that time, seven has come to stand for completion. So yes, John is writing to seven specific churches in Asia Minor, but he's also writing to the complete church throughout all the earth and throughout all time. He's writing to these seven churches. They were symbolized in the vision that we read by seven lampstands that Christ was standing in the midst of. Get that picture. The all-glorious Christ dwells in the midst of His church. But they don't see Him. 
shades. The all-glorious Christ still dwells right now in the midst of us, in the midst of his church. Do we see him or are we like these first century Christians? His glory was being eclipsed by their suffering and their compromise. So the question is, how? How are they going to see his glory? If he's dwelling in their midst and they still can't see it, how are they going to see it? Jesus says, write, John. That's how they're going to see Write it down in a book. Write what you see of my glory down in a book and send it to them. Send it to them so that it may be proclaimed among them. I know that's what's going on because of the seven stars that Christ held in his right hand in John's vision. If you look at verse 20, those seven stars are the messengers, the angels of the seven churches. Angels is another word for messengers. These are the, the pastors, the teachers, the preachers. Jesus is saying to To John, write down this vision of my glory that I give you, send it to the teachers of these churches, and let them proclaim it among my people. That is how they're going to get a vision of my glory. Through my word. Shades, how do we see, how do we see the glory of Jesus? How do we pursue joy in his glory? Through his word. That's the answer. How do we pursue joy in the glory of Christ? Through his word. Our God is a God who reveals himself by word. He's always been that way. From the very beginning, he created through word, revealed itself to all of creation through Word. Trace your way throughout the Old Testament. He reveals himself by word through prophets, through priests. His word comes to them and they speak, thus says the word of the Lord. Through it being recorded so that it can be read and taught through the scriptures, he reveals himself, makes himself known through word. And he has made himself known supremely in Christ, who was known as the word made flesh. When Christ the living word is proclaimed, his glory shines forth. That's what 2 Corinthians 4 says. When Christ is proclaimed, the living word, the gospel is proclaimed, his glory shines into the darkness of our hearts and the eyes of our hearts are enlightened. That's Ephesians 1. The eyes of our hearts are enlightened so that we're able to see and behold the glory of Christ and believe. This is This is said explicitly in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith, believing, comes through hearing. I hear the word of Christ. I behold his glory, not with the eyes of my head, but with the eyes of my heart. They're enlightened. I see his glory and I embrace him as my joy. Faith comes through hearing. Hearing by the word of Christ. Shades. How do we pursue joy in the glory of Christ? Through his word. And I know, I know what many of you are probably thinking right about now. Like, yes, John, and I agree with all of that. But can't we also see the glory of Christ through creation, through all that he's made that surrounds us, through mountains and valleys and rivers and streams and beaches? Can't, can't we see the glory of Christ through what we've done with his creation, through culture and art and our vocations, our jobs? Can't, can't we see the glory of Christ through one another that he's made, through, through our relationships and our, our families and our community and on and on and on and on? Can't we see the glory of Christ through all that he has created? Yes, 
shades, a thousand times yes. But Scripture is clear that we only see Christ's glory in creation when creation is viewed through the lens of his word. Romans chapter 1 is, is very explicit, abundantly clear, that without the lens of the gospel, we are blind to the glories of God in creation. We won't give him credit for them. We won't, they won't make us turn to him or reflect upon his glory. The gospel, the gospel is like a pair of, of glasses that we need to bring the glory of Christ in creation into focus. That's what the churches in Asia Minor need. Because it's specific, these seven churches, it's specifically as they look at the creation around them that they are failing to see the glories of Christ. Their surrounding reality is one of suffering and, and compromise in which Christ does not look great, good, or beautiful. They, they need the gospel as their glasses to bring their reality into focus. It is only through the Word that they will be able to look at their life and rightly see Christ as great, good, and beautiful. So, Jesus tells John to write. Write, John, because seeing glory happens through His Word. Through reading it. Through hearing it proclaimed. Through speaking it to one another through memorizing it, through meditating on it. There's a million ways to interact with God and His Word. Through, through all of these ways, we are drenching ourselves in His Word until it becomes the lens through which we see all of reality. We, we do this with something. If you don't do this with the Word of God, you are doing it with something else. Like we all drench ourselves in something until it ultimately becomes the lens through which we see reality. Like perhaps we drench ourselves in a particular news source. Conservative, progressive. We just take it in until it colors everything. Perhaps we, we drench ourselves in a certain career path. Perhaps we, we drench ourselves in a certain friend group or political party or whatever, but, but something, the point is that something is setting our lens. Something is setting what we focus on as glorious and joyous. If we want that to be Christ, if we want Christ to be what comes into focus as glorious and, and joyous, then our lens must be his word. That's the lens that Jesus gives to John and to us in the book of Revelation. In the time that we have left this morning, let's, let's look through the lens of the Word and see if we don't find joy in beholding the glory of Jesus. Like if this is how we're supposed to pursue joy in His glory, then let's do it right now. Let's look through the lens of the Word to behold His glory. Let's, let's look through this lens and see if the greatness, goodness, and beauty, the glory of God, comes into focus for our joy. So, first, greatness. 
for your joy, see the greatness of God through the word of Revelation 4, chapter 4. For your joy, see the greatness of God through the word of Revelation 4. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me said, Come up here and see what must take place after these things. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Cornelius. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes, in front and behind. The the first living creature, like that of a lion. The the second living creature, like, like an ox. The third living creature, with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature, like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within and day and night. They never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne, and they worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, And by your will, they existed and were created. Do you see his greatness? Does does it stir up joy? For the early church who who was being persecuted and, and being tempted to compromise with their culture, for them, right here in Revelation 4, the, the curtain of heaven is pulled back for them to for them and us to, to see true reality, not the surface level reality of their sufferings and their compromise. The curtains pull back for them to see what's really true at the center, at the heart of the universe is not them, is not us. It's God enthroned in greatness. He is is the greatest. That's, That's what all of creation is declaring before His throne. All of creation is represented by these four living creatures that look like they came out of Chernobyl or some other radioactive place. 
They represent all of creation. You've got wild animals like lions, domesticated animals like ox, flying animals like eagles, and mankind too. And all creation sees the greatness of God on display. They see it on display through Old Testament images of God's power and sovereignty. Images like majestic stones. He had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. This makes us think all the way back to Genesis 2 and verse 12 with the precious stones that surrounded the sovereign presence of God in Eden. And his presence is, is radiating like a, like a rainbow. Think Noah and God, the powerful covenant maker. And, and from the throne, we get literal peals of power, like thunder and flashes of lightning. Think Mount Sinai. All of these symbols are of God's sovereign power, his, his greatness. And all creation sees that, so all creation declares that. That's what they do in verse 8. The living creatures, day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy. It's a superlative right there. Holy, holy, or holy. A saying it three times is like saying there's none more holy than him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, separate, distinct, in a category all unto himself, above all, the greatest. What makes him the greatest? They say it. He is the Lord God Almighty there's no one stronger. He has so He's the greatest because he has all sovereign power. How do we know that? How do we know that he has all sovereign power? The 24 elders sing the answer. The 24 elders, which are representative of us, the people of God. Throughout time, 12 Old Testament tribes, 12 New Testament apostles, the people of God, Old Covenant and New, all in the presence of God, sing out the answer to how we know he has all power. For you created all all things and by your will like you didn't even have to do anything you just willed it by your will they existed and were created god is the great creator overall he's the first he's also the last but right now we're seeing he's the first the great creator over all what is the greatness of rome set next to this god is there any reason why in psalm 2 can we see the reason why in Psalm 2, this God laughs at the nations considering themselves powerful. Rome is not at the center of the universe. God is enthroned in greatness. Shades, is this the lens through which we see our world? Do we look into this word constantly to, to peer behind the curtain of eternity and remind ourselves of the truest reality. That no matter what things look like on the surface, our God is enthroned in greatness. Right now. And I know, I know that even upon seeing that reality, that we, like the early church, we struggle with that. God and his complete sovereign power. We struggle with that because if God is so great and he's so powerful, he's so ruling over all, then why are our temptations so strong? Why are our sufferings still so long? Why, why doesn't he do something good with all of his greatness? And This is where we need to see his goodness. Second thing, for your joy, see the goodness of God through the word of Revelation chapter 5. See the goodness of God through the word of Revelation chapter 5. John writes, 
Then I saw in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who's worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though slain with seven horns and and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each with holding a, a harp and golden poles full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and i heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all of it is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and forever. Do you see his goodness? Does it stir up joy Our our great God, who sits enthroned in unapproachable holiness. That's 1 Timothy 6. He sits enthroned in unapproachable light. Our great God, who sits enthroned in unapproachable holiness, works all of his, all the greatness we saw in chapter 4. He works all of it for our good. That's what's written in the scroll. The angel told John, come up here, I'll show you what must take place after this. What must take place after this is what's written in that scroll. 
It's God's plan for all of history to redeem it all. It's, it's the story of redemption's history from creation to new creation. It's the story of how God will make all things new. But who can approach this unapproachable God? John? John can scarcely even look at him. Except to say that he has the appearance of, of majestic stones, jasper and carnelian. Who is worthy to go to the very heart of the throne? The place that's reserved for God alone. All we have seen there thus far is God the Father and the seven spirits of God. The complete fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. Who, who's worthy to go to the heart of the throne except for God alone? Who's worthy to make known this great God to us, to open up His scroll, make known His plan for, to work all His greatness for our good? Who's, who's worthy to execute that plan, to bring it about? Who is worthy? Christ alone is worthy. For He is God Himself in the flesh. As God, He is worthy to take the throne along with His Father and the Holy Spirit. And in the flesh, He is able to make God known to you and me. We can boldly approach the unapproachable God in Christ. And when we approach Him, this, this lion of the tribe of Judah, what do we see? What do we see that our great God is like? A lamb. He's a lion-like Lamb, a, a slaughtered lamb. The word slain right here is, is softening the Greek. He's slaughtered. See a slaughtered lamb that still stands. For he died and he rose again. He paid the price to redeem our lives. That's the new song they sing about him. He ransomed a people for God by his own blood. He paid the price to redeem our lives. So he's worthy to take the scroll, break open its seals, and bring about God's plan of redemption for all of creation. He alone can work all of God's greatness for our good. This is his goodness. And all of creation finds joy in His goodness. Did you see that? Like it starts with the four living creatures and the 24 elders worshiping the Lamb. Pretty soon, you got myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands of angels joining in the song until all of creation is singing along, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Is this the song that we sing? Is this the song of our, our lives? Like do we see our lives and our world through this lens? Do we believe that Christ conquered through suffering and death. Do we believe he's a lamb slain and yet he stands? Do we believe that he conquered through a cross? Do we believe that so much that we will deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him? Do we believe that his way of conquering is through a cross so much that we will follow him through our own suffering and to death? Oh, shades, yes, yes, we will follow him because we believe that as the great creator and the good conqueror, he will bring about a beautiful conclusion, a resurrection. We will follow Christ to the cross because we believe that on the other side of the cross is resurrection. His resurrection was just the beginning. And one day he will read the last lines of that scroll and we will be raised along with all of creation to a beautiful conclusion. Third and final thing. For your joy, see the beauty of God in Revelation 21. 
For your joy, see the beauty of God in Revelation 21. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write. Write it, John. Write this down. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. What words? What words are trustworthy and true? I am making all things new. Write it down, John. Proclaim it among my people until it becomes a lens through which they see everything. Write it down. I'm making all things new. And Shades, if you just read Revelation 21, if you just go on throughout the rest of that chapter, it describes the beauty of everything made new. The beauty of the holy city, New Jerusalem. The beauty of the new creation. The beauty of God's people. The removal of everything accursed and evil. And the beauty of eternity. But at the heart the heart of all of that beauty, we see the thing which is most beautiful, the thing that is still at the heart of the universe, God enthroned in greatness, goodness, and beauty. At the center of it all, we see the beauty that enables us to see the beauty of everything else, literally. We see the beauty of God, which enables us to see the beauty of everything, because everything else has a derivative beauty from God. He created it as a reflection of his beauty. This is said explicitly in Revelation 21 and verse 23. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The glory, the beauty of God shines so that we can see the beauty of everything else. His beauty is at the center and we will find joy in his beauty forever. This is the very thing that Jesus himself prayed for. In John chapter 17, he prayed that we would one day be with him where he is so that we might see his glory. And when we are with him in his presence, seeing his glory, Psalm 1611 promises that there and there alone is fullness of joy forever. All of those promises will come to pass, shades. It's guaranteed by my favorite promise in the book of Revelation. Revelation 22 and verse 4, they will see his face. We're going to see his face, shades. Shades, I know that right now our temptations may be strong, our sufferings may feel forever long, but our God, the great creator over all, the good conqueror of all, will bring about a beautiful conclusion. Our joy in his glory forever.
And we can glimpse it now through His Word. You can pursue joy in His glory now by making His Word the lens through which you see the world. This, this is written shade so that we might see the greatness, the goodness, and the beauty of God. It's written so that we might find joy in His glory now and forever. And we pray with the close of Revelation, come quickly, Lord Jesus.